0: Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. God spake unto Moses and said to him, "I, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abram, unto Isaac, unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant, wherefore, saying to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I'll rid you out of their bondage, and I'll redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I'll take you to me for a people, and I'll be to you a God, and you shall know that I'm the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I'll bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I'll give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. We're speaking on the subject of God is working, even when we don't see it. And in this case, God's going to reveal himself uh, to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, to a godless nation, to his people who've wandered far from him, to make himself obvious to them. His whole purpose is so that they might know, the Egyptians might know, Pharaoh might know, the Israelites might know that he was God, Almighty God, Jehovah God, the self-sufficient one. And to be reminded this morning that God is self-sufficient. He's never gone to a store, never needed a cup of water, uh, never needed a ride no matter where he was going, never needed a phone or a cell phone or a landline to speak to anyone anywhere around the world, never needed a table, never bought a suit, never was in need of an air conditioner or a heater it's it's hard to believe someone that is ageless never seeing a doctor never never needing the sun uh, he created the sun all of those things he's about to reveal that he is a god above all nature and you look at the gods of the world and we understand what he's going to do here by sending these plagues is an attack against everyone of uh, the egyptian gods but he is a god above all nature now you'll have humanists and even people that call themselves religious, and they'll try to explain away scripture and classify these things as natural phenomena and algae that turned the water into a red-like substance. Here's what you know about our God: He created all of nature. He controls all of nature. He is not a part of nature. He is above nature. And if he said he turned the water to blood, you don't want to drink it. You don't want to boil it. It is blood. If there were a way around it, the Egyptians would not have been feverishly digging around the Nile. Everything that was surface water, if it was a container in their house or a glass of water on their counter, if it was a pond or The river, it was all blood. Can you imagine as those people begin to search for a single glass and to go a couple hours in the Egyptian heat under the Egyptian sun? You want to talk about frantic people, obviously. Pharaoh, the cruel taskmaster that he was, I guarantee you, he was lashing his own and giving them but hours to provide him a drink. Not concerned about his people, but his own health. And welfare. But we look at these plagues in the hand of God. He would do the supernatural through the natural. Can you imagine judging people by way of frogs? Try that. Judging a nation by way of lice? Uh, This was the hand of God against Pharaoh to turn his heart, although he knew he would harden his heart. But uh, God just wanted to remind them and let the entire world know that he was a god above all gods he is a god that determines universal morality now here's here's what happens in any culture Uh, before the ten commandments you had nations all pagan nations and their established gods and their established morality i've been uh, through Central America and South America and seeing these ancient cultures. It doesn't matter if it's the Mayans, Mayans or the Aztecs, uh, whatever culture it was, m- most included barbaric human sacrifice and torture. And they were doing that to please and appease their gods. But there is a God that established, and I I know our world is so messed up. There are still some cultures that are undeveloped. And you've heard recently uh, of a man visiting an island and arrested because he was invading a protected people and culture. And it doesn't matter if they're cannibalistic or, or they're participating in rape, whatever it is. It's almost like our world, so far from God, looks at foreign cultures as atriums. They, they look at them as an aquarium without water with species for us to observe no matter what kind of immoral behavior they're participating in. And here's what God would say to Pharaoh and to Israel over the next few weeks and months of their lives. I am a God above all God. I am a God that controls nature. I am a God that determines immutable moral law, universal moral law. It's not changeable because it's been part of their culture for a thousand years or two thousand years. God said, I will write in your hearts, but supremely, whether or not you live it out, it is eternally established because I am a God above all gods. Now, when we talk about... God working, we don't see it. Sometimes He says, I'm going to work in such an obvious manner, you can't help but see it. We know during the Great Tribulation, uh, many of the judgments fall upon the earth. Parallel, these judgments and the plagues found that God sent upon Egypt from darkness to hell to the water turning to blood. Other things that will Come upon the earth. This is God revealing to man. But just like Pharaoh, in the last days and during the time of the tribulation, man will so harden their heart, they will refuse to repent no matter what God does to bring them to knowledge, the knowledge of God. And here's what God's going to do. Look what it says in verse 6. He's going to tell them, as the God, the supreme God, Jehovah God, the almighty God, I will do justice. Now, church, let me explain something to you. In your minds, you look at this world and the injustice of this world and think that God has either closed his eyes, fallen asleep, become unaware. No, God is more aware than he's ever been. And God will do justice. And every man that's ever lived and every man that is living will receive his due reward. Every man. No man will escape. I don't care if it's Hitler or someone in Austin in 2024 who believes in no Bible, believes in no God, has established his own morality and thinks he's escaped the justice of God Almighty. No, every man for all eternity will receive his due reward. And here's what he's telling his people. You have suffered in bondage. I'm going to make you a few promises. The seven I wills are found here. Now, each one of these things I considered as I studied this text as a pastor, you always have to consider, especially when you do a series, how long do you want to take this series? How extensive do you want to go in this study? How deep do you? Now, these are all things we could package in a single message. I don't want to do that this time. I simply want to highlight it. Verse 6 Wherefore say I unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. Look what it says I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. He said, I am coming to rescue you, to rid you from bondage. Now, this is something only God can do. How many remember the bondage of sin before salvation? You can go to a psychologist, a psychiatrist any kind of counselor, double A, you can go to any kind of religion. None of them can deliver you from sin or from the power of sin. The only thing they can promise you, you can stand up and say, I've been 133 days without alcohol. They can't promise you, you'll make it 134, but God can release you from those chains. And here's what he's telling you. No one else can or would or could release or rid them from the bondage of Pharaoh, but God Almighty said, I'm sending. He, uh, he first said what he would do and then he did it. Amen. Yeah. He said he would do the impossible and then he accomplished the impossible. I will redeem you with a stretched out, only God can redeem us. Uh, those of you that have been saved, you understand, No church redeemed you, no baptism, no act of goodness that you performed redeemed you. Amen. Pastor, you're saying there's no worth in any of those religious endeavors. No, there's no value at all, whether you are a Mormon, a Jehovah Witness, a Catholic, a Pentecostal or a Baptist. You say that's, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, that's the only way you can get to heaven is to understand none of those religious rituals are going to redeem you. It's Christ and Christ alone. Look what it says, verse 7, I will take you to me for a people and I'll to you a God. And ye shall know that I'm Lord. He said, I want to establish a relationship with you. I want to recognize you in this relationship. Look what it says, I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll bring you into He's not just going to bring you out, but br- bring you in. He said, I'm going to relocate you. I'm glad one day you're going to get relocated. Yes. Now I'll tell you what, the way this world's going, and I heard a pastor say years ago, the older you get, the less attachment you have to this earth. And I don't believe to be true, but I've watched people leave this earth, kicking and screaming like there was no heaven. It made me doubt their salvation. If you're convinced that God is the creator, Christ is the Savior, heaven is your eternal destiny, you ought to live every day thankful for the relocation that will take place. Amen. Amen. In the blink of an eye, whether that's at death or the rapture. But here's what he told them. I'm going to not just pull you out. of, take you out of miraculously, out of Egypt. I'm going to relocate you into the land that I've promised you and reward you. What he's saying, that concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, and I'll give it to you for an heritage. So my point this morning is not those promises. My point is God Almighty is going to promise them something which only he can perform. Yes. Now, this has really come down to a battle between Pharaoh and God. Now, it's not a fair fight. Now, here's how we know the lights were being turned on when God said my purpose is not just to devastate Egypt, but to, to teach the world so that they may know that I am a God above all gods. And here's what happened. Uh, the water turns to blood and, and the Pharaoh says, hey, but I repent. There was never any repentance. It was just, I'm tired of the consequence, please end my suffering. But here come the frogs, and the frogs are all over the land. In the palace, you know, here's a place that he had maintained immensely perfect. And suddenly there are frogs in the kitchen, there are frogs in the sheets, there are frogs in the showers, there are frogs in the food. There are frogs everywhere. And here's here's what he does. Look what it says in chapter 8, verse 8. Chapter 8, verse 8, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and he said, Oh, look at this atheist. Look how he's speaking. Look at this man who's never believed in Jehovah God. Entreat the Lord. So if the Lord does not exist and he is not sending these plagues, why would you bother to pray to him to change my circumstance? Now, that Moses just wants to prove that this is God and not some coincidence. He says, verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, glory over me. He said, you know what? You make the rules for this moment. When? He said, just so you know, it's not a coincidence. You tell me precisely when you want the frogs to disappear. And that's what my God, the creator of heaven and earth, The one who multiplied the frogs will also now make them disappear in an exact moment so you know there is no act of coincidence here, but an act of God. Now, this idiot says what anyone says that is defiant against God. And he said, verse 10, when? This is the rebellion. Now, this isn't just the unsaved. This is the Christian in the pew. When you witness to people, they don't all reject the gospel. Some hear, but if they're defining in their heart, when you ask them, when would you like to be saved? What is their response? Tomorrow. But then you ask the Christian, so when would you like to get baptized? It's Sunday. The water's ready. Ah, tomorrow. We don't have servants tomorrow. Well, next Sunday. You, you ask the Christian, uh, when are you going to read the Bible through? And when are you going to get in the book? When are you going to establish a devotional time? Tomorrow. And when are you going to get involved in soul winning? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow is the words out of the mouth of anybody who refuses to submit in obedience to the commands of God. I won't do it today. I won't be obedient immediately. I, I'm going to I'm going to send that obedience for another moment. That was the heart of Pharaoh. Now, here's what God's going to do. Go with me. Let's look at several scriptures here. Uh, Exodus 12, verse 12. It's God attacks each one of their gods to make himself known as the supreme God. Look what he says, Exodus 12, 12. For our pass through the land of Egypt this night will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And what's it say? And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. He said, I'm going to show myself to be supremely sovereign over not just nature. But you have established your gods. You have formed your gods. Now, I don't care if you've been in a Catholic church and you've seen the idols there or if you've been to Hindu nations and you've seen literally the countless thousands of Hindu images that they have made as they self-created their God. Or as God states so plainly in Isaiah when, it, when he talks about what, what man has done to form his God and he takes gold or wood And with his hands, he makes his God. And then he carries his God. Then he sets his God. Then he paints his God and carves his. (laughs) His God can't paint. His God can't carve. His God can't carry. And God said to the children of Israel. You carry your gods and I carry you. That makes him the supreme ruler. Now, here's what God's going to do. And he's going to reveal himself in so many different ways to his people And to Pharaoh, chapter 8, verse 22, look what he's going to do. He's going to bring about an obvious separation and a division so they might know that there's a difference between God's people and the Egyptians. Look what it says, chapter 8, verse 22. And I'll sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarm of flies shall be there. To the end that thou mayest know that I am in the Lord in the midst of the earth. Now, how is it that they are living there with the Egyptians, right next door to the Egyptians, and there are flies everywhere? I mean, by the millions. Kim and I, years ago, when we were in Mexico, were invited up the road to eat in a house. And we went in and uh, sat and uh, ate. But uh, we looked up at the kitchen ceiling and it literally was black. Which is, and you could smell the animals and hogs and cattle. And uh, we pray over food and rarely mean it. But that day I prayed. <laughs> oh, God, if there was every day you bless the food, <laughs> may it be today. <laughs> if there was every day you bless me any eating food that I should not be eating, may it be today. But here's what God did; He made it clear to His people, and He made it clear to Pharaoh it literally His flies covered everything. Remember, this was not a place that had normal drainage as we do today, and refrigeration. So, whatever food and water and sewage, whatever's going on, there was a mixture. The flies were bringing the suit to the—I mean, the the sewage to the food and the. Yeah, that's what was taking place. Despicable, horrific. That's why Pharaoh was so quick to say, hey, can you please change this for us? And there were the Israelites. They had given away their, I, I'm, I'm sure with great joy and great pleasure, they'd taken the Egyptians their fly swatters and said, hey, if you want these or need these, you can have them. We don't have a flight problem. Just as a reminder that God is Almighty. look what it says in chapter nine, verse seven. And Pharaoh sin, "Behold, there was not one of the cattle, the Israelites dead. Now, now here's what 's happening. Pharaoh is starting to catch on that the Israelites are not suffering the same punishments. Next door neighbors, and yet they're not dealing with the same plagues. So when he goes out and sees all his cattle dead, he goes to take a look at the cattle of the Israelites. And he says, not one. Why God is wanting to remind him that he is the supreme ruler over all. Chapter 10, verse 23. This is the most incredible of all, in my opinion. When God sent extreme darkness, the Bible says a thick darkness for three days that would be, look what it says at the end of verse 21. The last words, which, what? A darkness which may be. Have you ever been in darkness that so was felt? I, years ago, Kim and I went. In Tennessee to an underground lake and once we got down there somebody had a stupid idea of turning off the lights well if you're that far below the earth the lights should never go off <laughs> and it wasn't just dark it was darkness no pastor that was Kim's hand in your hand and she was no that this had nothing to do with us holding hands and me, more, me being more nervous than her nothing to do with that it was darkness that could be felt, and for three days the lights went off. Now look what it says in verse 23. They saw not one another, neither rose anyone from his place for three days. It was so dark, no one even got off their beds or their chairs. But all the children of Israel had light. And Now, now hold on for a second. How did they have light in their houses but the light, okay, you know this. If your neighbor's with someone and you don't have light, but they have light, then you at least got some kind of light. God said, I'm putting a barrier, a supernatural barrier, where those Egyptians cannot see a ray of light for three days. Are you understanding? this is God working and here's the problem when God works even when he makes it obvious if you don't want to see God's hand you will not see it if your heart is hard if you're a Christian and God is working in your heart you'll never feel it you'll never see it it is a condition of the heart now we said all that to say this three quick passages go to Exodus eight twenty-five. When God is working, he is the supreme ruler, he is the God of justice, he will accomplish his will. Here's what I want you to know this morning, he doesn't need your help. Now, I don't need you to misunderstand, because then you have people become Calvinistic and say, why do anything if God's going to do everything? No, that's not the purpose this morning. Is the opposite because here's what we do: when we don't see God working or accomplishing as quickly as we'd like for Him to accomplish or work, then we begin to do things we shouldn't do to accomplish our will and claim it to be God. Look what it says in Exodus chapter eight, verse twenty-five. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, "Go ye sacrifice." To God in your land. Oh, look, at there's God working. He's finally willing. Now, hold on for a second. God already told you there would be 10 plagues. God already told you there would be the death of the firstborn. So he's not reached the end of the line yet. So if he said, go and sacrifice, you have to wait for the following phrase. You have to wait for the, but this is the condition. Look what it says, verse 26. And Moses said, it is not meet to do so. For we shall sacrifice the what? The abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes? And will they not stone us? We will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God. What's it say? As he shall command us. Now, the first thing he said, there's a compromise that's taken place. We've mentioned these in the past, but I need you to understand in the context of God is working. And here's what we do when God is working. And he's not working as fast or as thoroughly or what well, we would, I, I dare say this, competent in his work. How dare we question how competent God is? God is doing exactly what he should do as he should do it, when he should do it, and yet we question all of that. So when he says, okay, I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, you've been begging to go. I'm going to let you go. Uh, here's the deal. Uh, we have a lot of territory, and uh, you don't have to go past our borders. Just go out, you know, go out far enough, and uh, then uh, sacrifice, make your sacrifice unto God. And we know what the is. We know what the compromise this is all about separation. Now, we're not going to take the time this morning, but if you just go a few verses previous, God said, I will divide you and Egypt. And guess what Christians have done today? Guess what? The, when I say the church, I believe independent, local, Baptist, Bible-believing churches. But I'm not talking about the charismatic or the non-denominational. I'm talking about even among any Baptists. Here's what we've done. Because we don't see the numbers we want, the people saved that we want, the church growth that we want. We say, okay, if God's not working, I'm going to help God out. Here's what we won't do. We just won't separate to the same degree in order to worship our God. Because The separation that divides is the very thing that keeps people from coming back. So if we don't use at least a little bit of their music or a little bit of their philosophy or accept a little bit of immodesty or if we don't compromise, then certainly there is no way. Here's what's going to happen. Those people will come to our church. They won't stay in our church. They'll find another church. And here's what Moses said. No, we're going three days. Church, if in 2024, there there were pastors going three days journey in 1960 when they were preaching against, I love Lucy and leave it to Beaver. And now it's nudity and witchcraft. And preachers won't preach against anything for fear of losing everyone and anyone in separation now has not just been avoided, it's been mocked. Pastor, why are we going three days' journey? Can't we just go 45 minutes? Can't we just make this minor differences? Can't we make the church a little more palatable, a little more acceptable, a whole lot less antiquated so that we would be able to grow even quicker Pastor, don't you think it'd be possible to get more professions of faith if we would look more like the world and our music would sound more like the world? And here's what happens. God is working even when we don't see it. And when we look at the big picture and when you're an evangelistic church and when you believe in reaching the lost, here's the world's lie it's compromise that says if you're going to reach more if you're going to help more if you're going to grow more if you're going to build more you can't go three days away and the world says why separate and we say the answer we're going to help god god so far, you haven't been, it's been water to blood and it's been lice and it's been hell and it's been all these judgments, but God, we're still not freed. So you know what? Let's just make a compromise and we help you accomplish your promise. Look what it says in chapter 10, verse seven. And Pharaoh's servant said to him, how long should this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest not yet that Egypt is destroyed? His servants are saying, listen Pharaoh, what more do we have left? Our land is destroyed. Our water source has has been interrupted. We've lost uh, our cattle and our sheep and uh, our crops and from the locusts to the Everything else that we've suffered, our people are shaken and quaking and devastated and tired. Would you please just let them go? Not Pharaoh. And Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go, serve the Lord your God. Remember that you got to let him finish the sentence. There's no repentance. The world is never going to say, you know what, you guys go do your Christian thing." Do you think a godless government or godless world or godless boss, they're ever going to be happy with the life you're living if it's submitted to the Word of God? No, they are anti-biblical and anti-God. Look what it says. Okay, finish your statement, Pharaoh. But who are they that shall go? And Moses said, we'll go with our young, with our old, with our sons, with our daughters. We're taking everyone. We're taking our flocks, our herds. We must hold a feast unto the Lord. Verse 11, what's he saying? No no, 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 wait, wait. Go now ye that are men and serve the Lord. What's he, What's he saying? Leave, leave your kids. And this is, this is, hold on for a second. We, we point the finger, we see it in Egypt, we don't see it in us. This is what is taking place in our churches and among our, our Christians. We have now reached a generation of independent Baptists that will sacrifice their children for anything, any promotion, we'll we'll leave our kids in Egypt. We'll abandon our kids in Egypt. Uh, We'll let them be ruined by Egypt. Why do you think it is so common in the average independent Baptist church? I'm not talking about, once again, whatever you want to classify as a church. Non-biblical, it doesn't qualify. It doesn't classify. But whatever you want to classify, Go take a look at their kids. And we're watching kids by the boatloads, not 60 or 70, but 80%, 90%, whether they go to a Christian school or public school, whether they uh, live their lives in church or whether they're sporadically in church. They are racing to the world, and we're watching everything from divorce to homosexuality to gender madness And we're talking about kids that grew up in a Christian community under the influence of Bible preaching. You know why? The sacrifice was made by mom and dad. Because here's what they said. God has promised me a good life. God, I've got to help you out. I don't have time for my kids because I've got to make more money. And our kids are being sacrificed for Egypt. Egypt is saying, you go do what you want. You go live the life you want. You go serve God. Just give it to your kids. And guess what Christians have done? The majority have given this world their children. You tell me this. How our churches could be this multiplied, this large, this numerous, and yet the multiplication is not taking place through our youth and through our children. You know what every pastor says that comes to the Baptist Church? One in the usual church Most of the places I go, the average age of the average congregation is 50 and up. It looks more like a nursing home or a hospice house. That's what they tell me. You know why churches are in hospice? They're not, not only not reaching others with the gospel, but they're not reaching their children. They're leaving them. And here's... Here's, hold on for a second. If you talk to every one of those parents, they're convinced I'm doing God's will. And I have God's hand of blessing because look at the financial success that I have accomplished. And Pharaoh has said, I got you too. You're worshiping, but you're leaving your kids with me. And here's what we've done. God is working. And because we don't see it. We compromise with Egypt, convinced that he actually needs our help to accomplish his purpose. Look what it says in chapter 10, verse 24. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye. Now at this point, should Moses even pay any any attention to this liar? Okay, go. give me the instruction. Go and what? Go ye, sir, the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Like your little ones. Now, you know what? Before, before I move on, just something I just remembered, thought of. When he said, leave your kids, okay, he knows that many will. And then he knows that those same ones that leave their kids will eventually abandon God and worship to return to their kids in Egypt. You know how many parents I've seen get out of church because their kids did? You know how many parents I've seen give up Bible standards because their kids did? Kids rule. Kids rule. Pharaoh knew that. The world knows that. Satan knows that. Verse 24 Pharaoh called, Go, you serve the Lord, will only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. He said, Go ahead and take your kids with you. And Moses said, Not working. Thou must give us also sacrifice and burn offerings that we make sacrifice. He said, part of worship is a sacrifice. So if we go say that we're going to go worship, you know what we're doing? We're going to make sacrifice. We can't make sacrifice without our animals. That's impossible. Oh, this is another lie that the church has accepted. I'm going to worship, but I'm not going to sacrifice. You know what kind of small percentage of Christians actually are involved in a Christianity that includes sacrifice? No, sir. I'm talking about Capital City, one of the most dedicated, sold-out churches I know on the planet. You know how small the percentage is and how quick the brakes get hit and how quick. No, pastor, I live 30 minutes away from church, can't do that. No, pastor, my house payments are too high, can't participate in that. You're talking about a ministry where everything is free. Everything. We don't charge for anything, and people still can't. They can't sacrifice enough energy to be a participant in something that is free. That blows my mind. <laughs> the sacrifice is so little. We'll do anything that the world demands when it comes to sacrifice. But SeaWorld, we'll drive an hour, pay outrageous entrance fees, walk around with the naked, watch a, a whale snort in a fish splash, Endure the Texas heat and come home happy that we spent twelve dollars on a soda and twenty-two on a hot dog. We are not we are not gonna call it worship if it doesn't include sacrifice. And the average Christian says, What I do for God, here's my limitation. As long as it stays within these boundaries, here's my sacrificial limitations. Here's my time. Here's my money. Here's my effort. Here's my energy. This is what I will give to God. That's it. God, you ask anything above and beyond that, I'm out. God is working. But we have bought the lie that we got, we're going we're to go compromise with the world. And you know what, Pastor? If we'd separate less... If we demand less sacrifice, if we would just let our kids live their lives, their kids, that's what teenagers do. Not all 14-year-olds are pure. Not all 15-year-olds are going to listen to Christian music. Not all 16-year-olds are going to be faithful to church. Not all 17-year-olds are going to avoid marijuana. So, Pat, we have lied to ourselves And while God is trying to free us, we're over there making deals with the world and compromising everything that God says to keep. Now go to Joshua 24 and we're done. This is all about who owns who. What was Pharaoh saying? These people are mine and they're my servants. What was God saying? These people are mine and they're my servants. Verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt. Serve ye the Lord if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your father served or on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Isn't it amazing that we have to reiterate this? So constantly in our churches, in everything that we do, you've got to make a choice, young people. You've got to make a choice. I wish when you made it, it was permanent. But for most, it's a week-long, month-long Moment-to-moment commitment. Gentlemen, I'll tell you a secret. Carter, when I was 12 years old and I said, God, I'm going to serve you to the rest, for the rest of my life. I didn't mean I'm going to serve you until it gets complicated. I'm going to serve you until I don't feel like it anymore. I'm going to serve, serve you until there's not a serious battle. I meant it when I said, God, for the rest of my life. That was 40 years ago. That commitment hasn't changed. This isn't about serving the world or changing masters. And here's what Egypt was about. God said, Israel, you've been serving Egypt and Pharaoh, and he's a heart taskmaster, and you're complaining. But is, in your, is it in your heart to serve me? Or is it in your heart to compromise? Make deals with the world. Make deals with Satan. Make deals with your enemies. And live in both worlds, worlds, functional, and not sold out. Young people at some point, you see, there have been a lot of other people sat in that exact chair, made the exact same commitments, wore the exact same clothes, played the exact same instruments. Nowhere to be seen today. God's almighty. God's won the battle. But that doesn't mean he's won the battle of your heart. Because that battle is a battle you choose, that decision is a decision you make. God showed himself almighty, but you gotta say, Pharaoh is the greatest, these gods are the ones that I'll serve, or God Almighty deserves my permanent, lifelong loyalty.